Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called, Hey, Who's in Charge Anyway? And we'll be looking at a biblical model for leadership. Let's think about the pattern of God's leadership and how can we follow his example as we lead others. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome. Let me open us in a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. You are our great leader. And we want to just talk to the deity, the great creator and master of the universe. Open our hearts today to the scripture. Thank you that we can separate this time to think about these things. Touch our hearts, Lord. Move us toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. This is in a series of Hey, Who's in Charge? about leadership in the Bible. And today's lesson is Who Cares? Uh, about how God expresses love and care for us. So today we're going to go a bit deeper in what does it mean that God cares for us? And it's not quite as straightforward as you might at first think. Interesting enough, when you think of lead, develop, and care, one of the questions that comes up is, do you do it all at the same time? Do you do it all the same way? Or is there a bit of a sequence? Or does it depend? So let's think about it in that framework of lead, develop, and care, and think, well, how did God start off the universe? He started off with care. He didn't start off giving uh, commands to people. People didn't exist. He began preparing a place for us, just like he's preparing a place in heaven. He started off doing the same thing. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he calls the world into being. He creates dry land. What if he'd have created us uh, and he hadn't created the dry land yet. And then, oh, whoops, they drowned. Okay, wait, let's start over again. <laughs> Reboot the computer. Uh, what if he'd have created us before there were any plants or any animals? We might have starved to death before he got that far. So he, he creates everything by providing, protecting, making, causing the, the firmament to form, the protection of the ultraviolet rays. And then at the very end, after doing all that providing, protecting, that caring for us, then he introduces the same way you, you prepared for your, the birth of your first child. You didn't wait till the very day that the child was born to say, where are we going to put this thing? What are we going to dress him in? What do you think? Should, maybe we should swing by Dollar Tree, see what they've got for newborns. It was just born an hour ago. Uh, we better get going. You prepared ahead of time. There was a care component also there. So God started off the universe with care. Now think, now come to the New Testament with the idea of the gospel. The gospel is, was God's caring for us. That's where he, he came in and began to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The Bible says, actually, spiritually, before we knew him, we were like corpses. And there is no army in the world that consists of dead people with a commander ordering them around. And say, okay, formation. They just don't even move. 
Uh, they're dead. They can't respond to commands. Okay, we're going to do push-ups. We've got to develop these corpses. Nope, they can't do push-ups. They just they continue to lie there. So the very first thing God did for us in the gospel was he raised us from the dead. He provided for us. He's protecting us from the wrath of God. There was not initially any lead or develop. There was only care. So let's look at that a little bit. We're going to go into our definition. This is somewhat arbitrary, but it's a pretty good definition. Intentionally watching over and responding to people's needs and well-being. The definition of care. Intentionally watching over and responding to people's needs and well-being. You notice that word intentionally. It's not just a like, oh, whoops. Uh, it's, it's you... Uh, all you mothers out there, all the thought you've put into uh, your children's needs and watching over, usually mom usually does a little bit better job of watching over than dad and mom will come to dad and say, have you noticed this? And dad will say, why no, really? So mom is just picking up, you know, all this information. She's alert to that often even better than dad. And it's not just knowing and being aware of needs, but responding appropriately to people's needs and well-being. Sounds pretty straightforward. It's one of the most challenging things we face in our lives because you can overdo it, and that's what we call spoiling children, and you can underdo it, and there are different terms for that depending on how much you underdo it. Uh, it might be even to abuse, or it might just be neglect. And there are also times with your children, you're in disagreement about what care should look like. And they want you to do this, and don't want you to do that. And you're thinking, well, yeah, but for your best interest, we're going to do this, and we're not going to do that. And you don't agree. And it's not sometimes all that clear who's totally right. And maybe you're both sort of right and sort of wrong. Intentionally watching over and responding to people's needs and well-being. Read that out loud with me. Ready? One, two, three. Intentionally watching over and responding to people's needs and well-being. Now, one of the things that can help us here is to push it down to another level of detail of what we're going to call operational aspects. What, what kind of gets it in gear? Some of you might still own a clutch car where you standard shift and you've got those three, four, five, 48 gears, depending on how fancy your car is. Well, there's sort of like four gears here in the care part. It's know, connect, provide, and protect. These are things that help us get a little bit closer to what are we really looking for here? What would help us uh, take care from being just like a feeling, a sentimental thing, like awe, you know, sort of a thing, to what would it actually look like if you did it well? So the first one is to know, and that speaks of awareness, if you want to write that in. Awareness. How, again, we're starting off thinking about how God does this with us. Later on, we'll look at how we do this with others. But you think about the know part. And those of you that really like the Psalms, of course, Psalm 139 is going to come to your mind. Oh, God, you've searched me and know me. You know when I get up, when I sit down, you understand my thoughts from afar. It's all about how much, how intimately God knows us. 
how the great multitude of his thoughts toward us. Secondly, the second operational aspect is to connect. And that has more to do with understanding and thinking about how God has initiated. What, I mean, God could just be off there knowing. And there are people that think, well, I don't even know if there is a God because I, I don't feel like I've ever really connected with him. But God has connected with them. How did he connect with the Israelites? Well, in the wilderness, he had the, the pillar of cloud over the tabernacle and the pillar of fire at night. It was a, probably just a cloud that had fire in it. So at night, you could kind of see the fire. I don't imagine God at the end of the day says, hey, it's time to turn on the fire. You know, I just think it glowed at night, you know. And, but God was, was visible he was connecting with them. In the New Testament, we, the classic passage is John 1.14, and the Word became flesh, became a person, and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. As one version says, he became a human, and he moved into the neighborhood. But he connected with us in Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him to us. God is connected with us and brought understanding. Third, there's providing, and that has to do with resourcing, uh, providing things that you couldn't, wouldn't otherwise have. And we could just go on and on about how God has resourced us. Uh, you've been breathing air ever since you've been in, in here, and you haven't even given it a thought. Who knows how many breaths of air you've had since you walked in at 9.30ish this morning. And you also came in, you'd already eaten breakfast probably, you'd had some coffee, you have clothes on, you can even decorate yourself, which is not maybe an essential, but it's kind of nice. So God has been resourcing us from the day we were born, apart from getting into all the things he's done for us spiritually, but just physically. And then protect, that has to do with safety. Some of you have been reading about the fine-tuning of the universe, and they, they've discovered, I can't remember how many things it is now, like 20, 20 to 40 different things, that the way the universe is set up, it's so finely tuned that if the electromagnetic force was a little bit less, like a thousandth of a point less, or a thousandth of a point more, the universe couldn't have existed. There are all these, look it up sometime if you haven't looked at it, but pretty amazing that it's so finely tuned so that life can actually exist. And it's one of the indications that uh, there is a divine designer behind the whole thing. Safety. And of course, when you think of Psalm 23, it's all about provide and protect, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Even if I'm in a deep, dark, deathly valley, I'm not afraid because he's with me. There's the pr provide, protect, provide, protect. And just thinking about how what, all that God does, you, I think one thing that will be a surprise when we get in, to heaven is finding out the actual list of all the ways God protected us. All the car accidents you were almost in, all the diseases you almost got, all the horrible things that could have happened, and God holding it back, holding it back. And every once in a while for his divine purpose, he lets one thing through and says, hey, what's going on here? We don't realize all that he's done, why you're still alive today. 
all the times your life was threatened. And he says, well, we don't need to tell him about that. You just take care of it, angels. He has protected us. As we think back also about care, and I just want to highlight again God's care for us, how he starts with care. He doesn't start with lead or develop, and how that's expressed in the book of Ephesians. Let me just give you a 30,000-foot view of Ephesians. Chapter 1 is where he gets into the the Presbyterian verses of a divine election and God's foreknowledge and his sovereignty, and he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But you see, it's all care, it's care, it's care. There's not a single command in chapter 1. Why? Because it's what God has done for us. He went an infinite distance and paid an infinite price to be reconciled to you, his enemy. Chapter 2 gets into more details and says, and, and he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he's loved you, he made you alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. You were separated from the people of God, which was the, the Jewish people. But he says he's now made you all into one so you can be saints forever and ever in the family of God. It's all care. The f- chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. The first half of Ephesians is about the care of God in the gospel. And, then, and there are almost no commands. I think it's one, one command, two commands. When you get into the commands, you're getting more into the lead and develop because uh, lead, obviously, he's commanding you, but a lot of his commands are developmental, like let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, things like that. It's like you need to grow up and to be more like Christ. And then when you get to chapter 4, he, he immediately gets in, switches from care, and he switches over to an emphasis on develop. If you look at how it starts in Ephesians 4, 1, He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then on and on and on for three chapters, he gets into the develop part and the lead part. But all that to say, he starts with care. So, I'd like to now go into a little bit greater depth of the care that God has shown for us in the gospel. But when you think of God's care for you and me in salvation, uh, one of the main terms in the Bible for God's care for us is that he redeems us. He's our redeemer. That word appears over a hundred times in the Old Testament. And it can be a translation of any one of three words. The one word would be translated ransom, the second one be to atone, and the third would be to redeem. And the first term, the word for ransom, pada, is basically a payment. It's like you've incurred a debt, you've got to pay, you can't pay, and someone else pays on your behalf. Now, the problem with the debt we've incurred is the only way to pay it is they kill you. 
So it's a heavy debt. You know, it'd be one thing if you had to sell your car and to pay this debt, but it's another thing if they have to uh, kill you <laughs> for your debt to be resolved. And so there we have God's care for us in that he paid the ransom to set us free. It's almost like the devil had a right to hold us captive. And that the only way we could be, in a sense, absolved or released was with our own death. But Christ died for us in our place, and he paid that ransom. But the focus there is on the payment of a cost, of a debt. So what does the word atone mean? Well, that comes from kafar. And when you, you've probably heard the, the name Yom Kippur. What is Yom Kippur? Day of Atonement, a very special day in the Jewish calendar. And they would have that once a year. And that word uh, kafar or kapar uh, is, is the word for to cover. It's actually the word used when Noah built the ark and he covered the ark with pitch to make it waterproof. So it was a, it was a covering so the water couldn't go through. So the idea of atone is that God is covering us to protect us from the wrath of God. I think we would tend to view the wrath of God as kind of like, well, if God's such a loving God, why, why does he get that mad? So I, I had a thought the other day try to, to think of another way to understand that from what God has revealed. So I'll, I'll just, this is the first time I've ever shared this with anybody. So let me just try this out on you. But it's the sense that God has set up the whole universe for righteousness, holiness, and it's like it's a, it's a one-way street and, it, and it's made to go this way. But whenever you choose unrighteousness, unholiness, impurity, it's like you turn around and you're going the wrong way down the one-way street. So you begin to bump into things. Not because the street is mad at you, it's just that it's meant to flow that way. And it's almost as though the universe itself, as a reflection of God, has a gag reflex to evil. Sometimes you have eaten something that was bad for you, and your body revolted. You remember that moment at night when you think, boy, I don't feel good. And then you think, uh-oh, I think we have a problem, Houston. <laughs> and it gets a little bit worse. I think, oh, this is terrible. I hope I don't throw up. And then it gets even worse. You think, boy, I sure hope I can throw up, get this over with. But your body is revolting. It's like, this should not be in me. And we can't wait for the normal course of events that normally eliminates unnecessary things. We need to go uh, more drastic than that, and it's going to come out the way it went in. There is a gag reflex to things that are toxic for your body. And the universe also sort of has a gag reflex in terms of a rejection of evil. And so since we've been evil, there are things about living in this life that are harder than they ought to be. And there is like wrath against all evil. But God loves us so much, he's looking for a way to resolve this without us perishing. So he pays the debt, but there's still the, the issue that there's something wrong in us. And he says, I am going to cover you. Uh, and it's almost like he clothes us. He disguises us as Jesus. 
because there's no gag reflex with Jesus with the universe. So he puts us in Jesus, sort of we're sort of like a, a, a Jesus suit uh, with the blood of Christ and the person of Christ, the life of Christ. And by, for, from now up until forever, we are in Christ and we are completely covered. And therefore, we're once again at peace with God and with the universe. I don't know if that's a good way to look at it, but it's, it's kind of making a big deal of what God, the lengths that God has gone to, to be friends with you, to be close to you, for you to be and me to be okay. So to, he ransomed us, he paid our debt. He atoned for us, he's covered us. But it's not just that. I've saved the best for last. This is my all-time favorite surprise. Because you could think, well, I just needed to get out of jail card free, and then I'll, I'll be okay. But God says, ah, I, I'm more ambitious than that. I don't just want to solve your problems. I don't want to just save your life. He says, I would like to be close to you. Now, we sort of think, well, isn't that sweet? Like, I, I kind of like that. But reverse the roles a minute. Think about it. God is great. We're not. He has no problems, except the ones he takes on that are our problems. He is completely righteous, and we are not. He's sinless. We're sinful. And you think, well, Maybe a way that would help us get a feeling for a little bit of a feeling of what that would be like is what if you drove to downtown Columbia and you found the most miserable person you could find? They've been living on the street for 45 years. They have several addictions. People have tried to help them, but they're so, so nasty that everybody kind of gets tired of trying to help them. They're just not very helpable. They smell bad. Their clothes are dirty. They speak badly. You use bad language. And I want you to imagine going up to that person. I kind of hate to give them a name because somebody might have that name here. But you can imagine a name. And we'd say, well, hi, hi my name's Henry. What's, what's your name? And they say, and I say, well, I've come to take on all of your problems as my problems. Do you have any debts? Well, yeah, I do. Do you have anything, sickness? Do you need any health care? Uh, I think you need a new wardrobe, maybe a couple of changes. Um, I've also set up uh, an appointment with the lawyer because I would like to adopt you uh, as my heir uh, for everything I have. And I've, I've already prepared a room for you at my house. Here are the keys to my car. I want you to know where the refrigerator is. You know, we'll work together to get your laundry done. And until the day I die, I would like to hang out with you. Okay, now, don't you see there's a big difference between helping somebody, say, okay, God bless you, and saying, move in with me. I want to be like your dad. I want, and I want to be your closest relative. That's what the word redeem means. And if that does not surprise you, that God is that way toward you, I think you just haven't understood it. The word goel, or go, the verb is gaal, 
It comes from the noun that means, literally means, the closest relative. So all of you, if you were to think through all of your family relations, you have somebody that you would think is your closest relative. In their context, it was the closest male relative just because of the way the society was set up. But you remember the Ghostbusters movie, the question they had, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Well, in the Old Testament, there was nobody to call. There was no 9-11 that you could call. There was no police force. There were, most of the time, not really court, a court system. And so when you got to a place where you were threatened by an enemy or hounded by creditors and you could not pay, you had some major issue that you needed help with, like Ruth and Naomi when they came back from from a foreign land back to Israel, your one place you could go for help was your closest relative. Now, they might not be willing to help you, but that was your best shot. The government wasn't going to help you. There was no social net, safety net, no social security, no insurance, no hospitals. There was nothing but your closest relative. And you were just hoping they would be willing even if it was from feeling guilty, they would be willing to give you a hand. So that's what this term means, when, and the verb means to act like you're the closest relative. So when Ruth and Naomi come back, that's why they approach Boaz, that wealthy landowner, because he actually was one of their close relatives. There was somebody else that was even closer, so he had to, they had to resolve that. And then Boaz married, married Ruth as, because he was the closest relative. And in Job, uh, at one point, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last day uh, he will stand. And the word he uses there is my closest relative. He means God. That God has become out of his own choice. I couldn't make him do it. He has chosen to become your closest relative and to act like your closest relative, to love you, care for you, and to say, all of your problems are my problems. That is the care of God. That kind of commitment, not just to helping the needy, but being intimate with us. He says, I go, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that, and I'll come back and get you. So I want you to be where I am. Now, all of you know people that it's very difficult to be with them very much for different reasons, different personality. They get on your nerves. They're not thoughtful. And your normal strategy for those situations is distance and infrequency. And you kind of get far enough away where you can sort of handle it. And so this perfect God that's never done anything wrong, deciding this crazy idea, he says, I'm going to get this, this group, that, as the pastor said this morning, this ragtag, ragamuffin bunch of people that even with their best efforts keep messing up. He says, I'm going to bring them in close and I'm going to hold them right here with me forever. 
And the angels are probably going, are you out of your mind? You know, I mean, you're just like, really? Why would you do that? And he says, all of you are going to be wondering that the rest of eternity. And I'm just going to be sitting there enjoying it. Because that's how I love you. That's who I am for you. God cares for you. He has known you. He has connected with you. He has provided for you. And he has protected you. And I want to get to a couple of so what's on this. The first so what is about eternal life. And I want to ask you the question. I know we're in church, but nevertheless, never hurts to ask. If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure where you would spend eternity? In heaven or in hell? Do you know, have you received that care of God? Have you responded in faith to him? Or do you still have him at a bit of a distance? Have you ever actually prayed, opening your heart and say, God, Please, I thank you that Christ died for me. I I open my heart to you. Please come in and be my Savior and be my Lord. Just because God is caring doesn't mean you've received that care, particularly the care of everlasting life. And that's the only care that really matters because this life is very short and eternity is very long. And that's where you most need God's everlasting care is in eternity. Have you opened your heart to Christ? But a second so what is gratitude? Some of you are relating to small children. I know I am these couple of weeks. And one of the things that comes up at all ages, but we seem to notice it more in small children, is whining. I'm sure none of you would ever have whined or complained. But thinking about God's care, what he's done for us to pay the debt, to cover us from wrath, and to become our closest relative. Thinking about all he has done at his own expense, how much should we be overflowing with gratitude? We do tend to focus on what we don't have and what we still want and what God has not provided. The picture I've had of it sometimes is thinking of a five-year-old child at their, or four-year-old child at their birthday party. All of their friends and family are there. They've been given 20 presents. They've got their favorite food. They've got a big birthday cake with their name and the number of years on it and everything is perfect, but one balloon popped, or they don't have the present they wanted, and they're just distraught, weeping. They can't focus on all that is good because there's that one thing that they most wanted, and they don't get to have it right when they want it. And isn't that a picture sometimes of us? We take for granted all that God's done and is doing, and express our dissatisfaction. We're not happy customers because I don't have this thing that I wanted. One of the keys to life is gratitude. 
there's a humility in gratitude that calls down the blessing of heaven on, on us. And getting stronger at remembering and celebrating, even though there are things we don't have when we want, how we want. And there may be things that we've prayed for, and maybe God someday will give it, and maybe he never will. Says it doesn't matter, God. The door is open to heaven. The only thing I deserve today was to not be here. The Bible says I should, should be in hell for my sins. I'm not in hell. I'm happy to not be in hell. I'm very happy to wake up on a nice summer day in Columbia, South Carolina. It may be hot as that other place sometimes, but it's not that other place. And not only am I not in hell where the Bible says I used to belong, but the door is standing open to heaven. It's only a matter of time before I will be in a place that I never deserve to be with the most wonderful person in the universe forever and ever and ever. What do I have to complain about? Gratitude. Are you growing in gratitude for the care that God has given and okay with the care he has decided to withhold? And third, so what is related to tribulation? Dealing with disappointment. There are things that you have wanted and prayed for and wept for, and it didn't happen. So then you thought, well, maybe I need more, I don't know, uh, a miracle from the Holy Spirit or, or, or be baptized in the Spirit of God. or what? And you're just sort of casting around. There must be some thing I didn't do that if I just did that, maybe a fasting, maybe if I fasted four days. And maybe, maybe God uh, would, would do it. But there are times when no matter what you do, or how you do it, or how sincere, sincerely you do it, or how long you do it, you still don't get what you wanted, what you thought was a good thing. And then maybe it is a good thing. I mean, some people that wanted to get married, some people that wanted to have a child, some people that wanted better health, a longer life, whatever it is, a better job, different abilities, and at some point in your life, you probably have struggled with being a little disappointed with God on this issue of care, because we're talking about care. I said, well, I thought you loved me, God. I thought you were a caring God. And if I were God, that's part of the problem. Uh, if I were God, I would have said, sure. I'll, I'll be happy to give you that. And you haven't given it. You've just, God, you've stood there with your arms folded. Do you realize how many people in the world are mad with God because of the way he's decided to do his care? So as nice as all the care stuff sounds, when you think about most, most people are not that mad at God on his leading or his developing. They just don't pay any attention to that. They're here for the care, you know. We're here for the benefits. And uh, I wonder today, are you mad with God? Think about the book of Job. The experience of Job is where God at one point, after having cared deeply and overtly for Job, withdrew all care. I mean, not the no part, but as far as the provide and the protect, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, all provide and protect seem to disappear. 
The guy's sick. He's miserable. He loses his kids. He keeps his wife. He loses all of his money and his position. And then you sit there with him for 38 chapters as he thinks about that. So I thought, why is God not caring for me? And at the end of it, uh, God reconnects with him. He shows up. The interesting thing is all of Job's questions about why God doesn't ever answer them. And you think, wow, I would have thought you would have. Maybe, maybe let him wait, but then kind of let him know, hey, Job, what we're really up to is this. It wasn't until Job got to heaven and realized that that was the production of the most important book ever written in the history of humanity on going through suffering. And Job's life and experience with God in that deep place affected the next 3,000 years of people that suffer. So those of you that are going to heaven, we'll get to the place one day where we're going to actually meet this guy named Job. We're not sure how he pronounced his name. Maybe he said Job or something. You know, we'll have to say, well, help me with the pronunciation. I, I kind of only have the English version of your name. But how do you feel about all that now, Job? <laughs> where, where God, you know, almost like a guinea pig, it sort of sounded like. He says, oh, man, that, I thank God for that every day. He says, it was really hard going through, but actually, you know, you look over 5,000 years. It was only like just this tiny little bit. And what a privilege. What a privilege that I could go through that in service of the rest of humanity that suffers. That's the main thing I'm thankful for in my life was that all hell broke loose in my life and my life could become a message. not just a ride on a cruise ship. Don't you want your life to count? The few times God allows you to have tribulation, can you not trust him? Can you not say, Lord, I'm your penny. You can spend me any way you want. All I deserved was death. I'm, I'm alive forevermore. It's like, whatever you want, Lord, here am I. Use me to bless all the families on the face of the earth. Are you ready to open your hand with your life and all the things you hold? Because they're, they're, they're just two possibilities, right? You either get what you're hoping you're going to get, and then you're struggling with losing it. You know, wanted children, but what if one of them dies? Well, if you hadn't had any children, you wouldn't have to worry about that. But now that you've got a house, a car, kids, a wife, a husband, uh, you, once you get them, you're worried about losing them. Or you don't get them. And you think, oh, why? Oh, it would have been so great if I'd have had this. And God says, can't you just trust me with both? With what you have, everything's temporary. Yes, you will lose it. You will either leave them or they will leave you. That's just the way it is. This world is a moment. It's a vapor. So, Lord, I'm going to, with what I have, I'm not going to sit around worrying about losing it. I will lose it. And in the right time, in the right way, I'm trusting in you. It's fine. And these other things that I think, oh, I really need that. I want that. I got to have that. It's like, well, Lord, you know, and it's okay. Only heaven is heavenly. 
And a lot of times the things we want that we can't get, we think, if I just had that, then I'd really be alive. And we're almost trying to create a heaven on earth. He says, no, this is not heaven. That's heaven. And it'll all be fine. God's in control. I am trusting in him. He is a caring God, even when it doesn't look like he's caring the way I want him to care. It's all right. I've given him permission. He's the Lord. Oh, captain, my captain. It's okay. I'm fine. In quotes, maybe. I'm not totally fine, but I'll be fine with it. I choose to be fine with it because I know God is great. God is good. All will be well. He is my king, my commander. He's my shepherd who leads, develops, and cares for me. Last thought, there's always a natural tension between care and develop. Why? If you overcare, you will underdevelop. That's what we call spoiling your kids. And so God also, he is so ambitious for you. He does not just want to take care of you. He wants you to become the best version of you in Christ. And class is in session. And you don't learn with easy things. You don't learn with blessings. You don't learn, you don't, you don't learn and grow when everything is taken care of and is, flows with no problem. You learn and grow with challenge, hardship, darkness, difficulty, suffering, rats. I mean, it would really be nice if we could have easy class and learn everything, but for some reason we can't. So God is always weighing those off. He has a certain amount of care, but also he's heavy on the develop, develop part because he says, I want you to grow up and be a blessing to many. And that has a bit of a price tag on it. But trust me, when it's all said and done, and you look back, if you've cooperated with me, you'll look back on it and says, it was good. It was good. God is good. And I want to remind you today, God loves you so much. He loves you enough to not always provide everything you think you want because he's doing something wonderful in you to do something wonderful through you for many others. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Great, gracious, wonderful God, but not just God, our closest relative. Wow, can't believe you went for that. We're so grateful, and we want to maintain the amazement of the one who decided they wanted to spend forever with us, making all of our problems their own, finding their joy in our joy. Lord, someday we'll see you face to face. Help us to be faithful, open, surrendered, rejoicing, and giving thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.